Creative, expertise, technology, patents, and people. Intellectual property is the core of business today. Protecting it is a priority. From a single innovation to large corporate IP issues, we're talking about it here on IP Council. Join IP Council host and attorney Peter Lando, partner of Lando and Anastasi, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome. Welcome to IP Council on the Legal Talk Network. I am Peter Lando, partner with the firm Lando and Anastasi in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where our practice includes all areas of intellectual property law. Of course, you could learn more about our firm at LALaw.com. Before we start, I'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, Samit & Company, certified public accountants at www.samit-cpa.com and Sentinel Benefits and Financial Group, a single-source provider for all of your employee benefits and financial services needs at www.sentinelgroup.com. On today's show, we will take a look at some best practices for developing and managing a company's intellectual property program. While most agree that intellectual property rights are often among the most important assets of any business, surprisingly, many companies of all sizes and in uh, all varieties of sophisticated industries, fail to proactively harvest and manage their IP portfolio. In particular, many companies fail to manage their IP portfolios across business units of the company, opting instead for ad hoc and local business unit IP development and management. Now, perhaps on the one hand, and understandably, this is driven by budget issues, it may also be a failure to appreciate and uncover interactive, inventive activity from all parts of the company. So what can be done to integrate and elevate the IP management function to leverage the knowledge of all employees of the company? What are some best practices for an IP program at your company? Joining me today is my guest, Rob Follett, Director and Counsel, Intellectual Property, Zoll Medical Corporation. Zoll Medical, based in Chelmsford, Massachusetts, develops and markets medical devices and related software solutions, including products for pacing, defibrillation, circulation, temperature management, and fluid resuscitation for use by clinicians, first responders, and lay rescuers to treat victims needing resuscitation and critical care. 2010 sales revenues for Zoll Medical were greater than $440 million and have grown rapidly over the past several years. Interestingly, Zoll manufactures all of its products and facilities across the United States. My guest, Rob Follett, has been director and counsel of IP for Zoll Medical for two years. He has broad experience in the field, and prior to Zoll, he was a senior intellectual property counsel for two Fortune 500 companies over a 13-year period. He began his career in intellectual property as a patent examiner at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for five years. Welcome to IP Council, Rob. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm well. Good. Hey, you know, I, I've got to do the legal uh, disclaimer before we start everything. And so, you know, the classic, I just want to let you, everybody know that, that what we're going to talk about this morning are, are my ideas, my thoughts on the particular topic, and not necessarily those of Zoll's. You know, but they, they come from, you know, the experiences I've had both here and, and at other corporations, even at the Patent Office before I got here. So, 
Understood. Thank you again. Sure. Okay. Let's let's jump right into it. So best practices for managing IP program. Um, you and I have spoken um, uh, about this this topic and just uh, uh, over over the years. And um, let's let's focus on a few components. Sure. And um, which what what are your what are your ideas and and on best practices? Yeah. You know the way I look at it, um, there are sort of three components in terms of, you know, harvesting ideas that you mentioned earlier in the presentation. Uh, and and, and they, they come from, you know, three different things. One is uh, education. I think it's really important that, uh, that everybody understands what intellectual property is and, and how they can contribute to the intellectual property of, of any business that they work for. Um, the second thing is, is, okay, now that you've educated people, how do you get those ideas from those people? And the third part is, is, you know, once you collect all those ideas, what do you do with them? How do you figure out which ones you want to file and which ones you don't? And, and, and when I say file, I mean patents and whatnot, but you might want to keep things as trade secrets or there might be other types of protection you might want to seek, like copyright or that kind of thing. And, and frankly, you know, obviously intellectual property includes branding and trademarking and all that sort of stuff, too. Okay. So let's, let's start. Let's take them in order. Let's start with education. When, sure. when, when, you, um, when you have education um, programs uh, within a company, um, how, how, do, how does one set that up? Do you have a, a session for marketing people, a session for research people, a session for finance people, or do you, do you mix everybody together? How, how, do you, how do you arrange those types of uh, sessions? Yeah, so my, and we've talked about this before, my, my personal view on that is that if you're thinking about patents and whatnot, you know, inventions can come from anywhere. I, I've been in experiences where I think a lot of people feel that they only come from scientists or engineers and whatnot. And 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 my view personally is that it, it comes from anybody in the corporation. So when I when I think about doing an IP presentation, I open it up to everybody. And and it's a it's you know it's basically a broad invitation to anybody in the corporation. And that includes the folks that are down the manufacturing floor. It includes marketing people. It clearly includes other type of business management people, and it, and it does include R and D, you know, folks in R and D. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that I wouldn't do a separate session for the R and D guys if it's a large enough group, you know. But uh, but I tend to try to really open it up. The other thing I think when you open it up is that the questions you get, you know, you might get different questions from different types of people that might prompt other thoughts from other people, right? So a marketing person asking a question about a patent might be a different kind of question than you might get from an engineer, you know, who might be much more technically oriented in how they're thinking about it. And the, and the marketing question might be a much broader, much broader thing. But, but for me, as I, said, as I said a minute ago, to me, you know, a, a key recognition is that anybody from a patent perspective can invent it. I don't want to restrict it at all. Okay. So, so these presentations, I'm trying to visualize this yeah. now. How, how many folks would come to a, to a presentation, and how frequently would you have them? Well, you know, when we're starting things up, you know, when we first started doing the IP program, we would, the education program, we would, you know, we did them at every location, um, and we would have them, you know, for some locations, it was every time I went out there for the first several months. You know, we'd open it up. In some cases, we hit them all the first time around, you know, um, but in other cases, you know, there's one particular business I went to three or four times, and every time I went, you know, more people would come. And, 
you know, I'm happy to do it if it's three or four people. You know, I, we've had as many as, you know, 50 or 60 in a room, that kind of thing. I think when we did the R&D group, it was that size, and uh, if, if not bigger. And and so, to me, you know, I hate to sort of say no to people and say, well, we're not going to do it because there aren't enough people. You know, if it's the kind of thing where where I've only got two or three people that are interested, I'll say, fine, let's just do it in a conference room, and I'll sit down, and we'll we'll go through and do it. You know, okay. once we sort of roll it out and do it, uh, I've done it a bunch of times. Then you can kind of slow it down and say, well, well, how's the need? You know, you want to you want to capture people. You might want to capture new employees periodically, that kind of thing. So you might go back and send out and you know a, a notice every six months or something that says, hey, you know, come see what everyone else has has seen and raved about, you know, before and 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 see the IP talk. And we'll still get people. The other the other people that I'll try to capture is is when we have our international folks in. You know, I might do a separate session for them to uh, to clue them in. I want to make sure that, you know, these are folks that are out in the field and seeing different kinds of things. And I want to make sure that they're aware of what's going on too. You know, part of it is 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 also creating uh, creating an understanding of the value of intellectual property and what role it can be. Again, by doing that, I think it, it opens it up to a lot more people and it encourages people to say, hey, gee, maybe I have an idea that might be of use to the company. Sure, sure. I, I like the idea a lot. I, I have, as outside counsel, participated in in some of these uh, programs, and I've always been struck by the uh, by the level of interest um, in in IP. There's there's certainly misunderstanding, and and folks uh, confuse perhaps trademarks and copyrights, and and even patents and trade secrets and what have you. Yep. And in terms of of how do you obtain the right, and how do you uh, enforce the right or how long does it last or what have you, but there's interest. And I think you, 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 you take that and you work with that and, um, and, and, um, correct the mis misunderstandings. And I think, uh, then you have a, uh, kind of, uh, enlisted a bunch of people in the process. Tell me about the program itself though. Well, in terms, you know, I, the, the opening one I, I call IP 101 mm -hmm. right? and it, 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 it covers it, it starts off with what I call sort of intellectual property in one minute. It's actually a misnomer. It generally takes a little bit longer than that because, after all, I am a lawyer and things tend to go longer <laughs> than that. But, you know, we try to break it out into four components, and I'll do a brief, a brief thing on sort of the four basic types of intellectual property, right? Patents and trademarks and copyrights and trade secrets. And you're right. You know, you'll get a lot of, you know, there are the people that confuse, you know, what might be copyrightable, what might be patentable, and and all that sort of stuff, and people who don't understand, you know, trademarks. And so I try to do that overview just to give people an idea of what's going on, I mean, in terms of term and how the rights arise and all that sort of stuff. I would say that, you know, my, my comment on being a lawyer notwithstanding, uh, another sort of key element to these things is I really try to keep it to an hour or less. I, you know, from, from my experience attending, you know, legal talks and patent talks, and, um, you know, I, you, you kind of you can gauge the audience and sort of see where people are. And and from my view, I want to keep people interested. And I don't want to sit there and just bore them to death. So I try to keep it, you know, light and lively and engaging, but also, uh, you know, within a reasonable time. So so you're not you're not getting into the weeds of the of the patent process. Um, you're, you're giving kind of an overview of how, for instance, and in, in, with regard to patents, how they application moves through the patent office and ultimately hopeful and hopefully become a patent. Yeah, you know, I, I started off actually with, okay, so I have an idea what happens with that idea. 
right? And, and you know, it gets into the process of you might spend some time with your lawyer and all that sort of stuff working it through. And then I do a brief overview of how it goes through the patent office because a lot of people just don't have any idea. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, the other thing I highlight is the difference between a patent application, a patent publication, application publication, and an issued patent. Because as you've seen, and I've seen anywhere, you know, how many times do you get a phone call when somebody sees a published application and says, gee, you know, what are we going to do? Right. And, and obviously you have to pay attention to it. But, you know, the, the point is, is that, yeah, it's a publication, and, but it might not be what the final, you know, patent actually issues to be and, and what the patent office thinks is patentable out of what you filed. So there's a, there's a brief overview of the process, yeah. And, and I also talk, you know, I talk about, you know, what, what is patentable? You know, what kinds of things are patentable? What kinds of things aren't patentable? Uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I, the classic example I give on, on unpatentable subject matter, you know, is, is naturally occurring things, right? I, I used to work for an industrial gas company. They sold oxygen and nitrogen and stuff. And you can't necessarily patent oxygen and nitrogen, but boy, you could patent a lot of ways of, manuf- of separating it from air. You could, you could patent a lot of ways of using it in chemical processes. You know, look at sunlight. Sunlight's a naturally occurring thing, and you can't patent sunlight. But, but boy, look at all the patents out there now on solar power and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. you know, you try to open it up to, to tell people that uh, in terms of what's patentable, keep an open mind. Don't self-censor yourself. Don't sit there and say, well, that's, that's not patentable. Uh, what I try to encourage in people when, I, when we're talking about the patent side of it is, is you know, submit, submit an idea to us, right? Give us the idea that we can take a look at it and make an assessment on it. Ultimately, the, the patent office is who decides whether or not something's patentable or not. And, and give us the idea, because if, if the idea just sort of sits in your head, doesn't get out, it's really of no use to the business, because it's just sitting there and the business doesn't know about it. And so a key point of the, of, of the education part as well is, you know, don't self-censor what you're doing and, and, and get out the ideas to us. Okay. So you're, the, effort, uh, the education effort is to enlist everyone. How have you made, um, uh, in this day and age, have you made it easy for folks to submit ideas? Yeah. So one of the things that we've done, and, and there are commercial products out there that, that, that do this as well, you can... You can probably make it yourself. You know, we, we designed our own, but as I said, there are commercial products out there that allow for, you know, look, we're a web-based economy now, right? And so we set up an intranet site that is, uh, you know, secure for, for our company. And, and we came up with a really, what I consider to be a pretty simple process for people to submit ideas. You know, I, uh, again, it's, I've been in environments where, and I've, I've heard it said when you talk to, you know, people that typically are inventors, you know, I guess it does get back to some of the engineers and stuff, but you'll hear them say, well, you know, I had this great idea, but I didn't want to fill out the 10 page form. You know, I've got other things I've got to do. You know, companies around here and everywhere else are, are getting leaner and meaner and, and, and demands on people are pretty high. So, I, so what I want to do is, is, is I want to encourage an environment where, where it's easy for someone to submit an idea and it, it's not incredibly time consuming for them at least in the initial stages. And so, you know, we have this intranet site where people can submit it. But, you know, the intranet site also has a downloadable form where if people want to submit that, you know, or if people want to uh, print it out and handwrite it. You know, there are people that still like to write things out in pen, uh, in pen these days. And so, you know, we offer any, any number of ways that people can, 
can submit the ideas um, to us. And getting back to sort of your earlier question, you know, I, I try to, as I said, keep it simple. What I what I what I look for, at least initially, is is an idea and information that's um, enough information so that the business and technology people that look at these things can make a decision as to whether or not it's something that the business has an interest in getting patents on. Okay. Um, and if so, then then maybe we go ahead and we we flush it out a lot more at that time. But you know, we don't need to do the eight page disclosure document. The other thing that I've heard, and this is all anecdotal, but the other thing that I've heard is people, you know, they hate to sort of submit these, they, they go to the effort of spending a few hours working on this, in, this convention document, and then it never turns into anything. And, I, you know, it, it, it turns into a disincentive for people to submit ideas. So, again, you, you know, I, as I said, my, my view on it is, is that you keep it simple, you keep it short, enough information so that people understand what the invention is, understand how it might relate to their business, you know, from a business perspective, understand it technically. Um, if if something comes in and there's it's just not enough information, I'll follow up with the person and say, well, what did you really mean here? What were you really thinking about? And and then we can flush it out a little bit more. Okay. So it sounds uh, like you've broken down kind of the rigid structures. You've encouraged uh, people to submit ideas on short forms, and and you've you've allowed this uh, uh, or, or encouraged this, this system of this interactive system where you can get back to people. Um, it, it sounds like uh, the effort has been to make it simpler to submit ideas and uh, less, less structured. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing we try to do is we try to get back to people to let them know what happened with their idea. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I was the one, one company where the vice president uh, R&D said to me, you know, it's one of the most frustrating things for people is that they submit their ideas and they disappear into black holes. Mm-hmm. And so so the feedback is is pretty important. You know, one of the things we actually say, I think, when we submit, when the idea is submitted, they, an email comes back to them or actually a message comes back to them on the website that says, hey, you know what, you're going to hear from us. You know, I, I think we have it at some time period. It's a reasonably brief time period where people will, you know, hear back from us. Okay. And and so how do you um, after the program? I've I've always found that uh, when companies invite me in to to do that type of presentation for the first week or so afterwards, there's a great excitement. You might even see more invention disclosures, but then it kind of peters out and it uh, goes back to business as usual. How do you continue um, with the uh, kind of kind of continue the excitement? Yeah, that's the rub, isn't it? Well, you know, it's 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 a, it's a challenge to. Uh, you're right. It, 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 you know, you get things all going, and you're right. The, the excitement can can wane, and the goal is to keep people motivated about it. So how do you do that? You know, I don't know. I I think I told you one of the things that I do when people come to the talk, they get a they, they walk away with a coffee mug that that gives them a, the web address to the internet site, and the, the theory is that it sits on their desk, or you know, they walk around with it to get their coffee, and then I'm, I'm happy to see that people actually do walk around and. And, and use them to get their coffee. And the idea is, you know, it, it sort of, you know, it, it doesn't put it far away from their minds, right? When they, right. you know, it's just sitting there all the time for them to look at. I suppose there are other tchotchkes or gifts that you could give to people. You know, I think I've told you before, the other thing I try to do to get people to come to these things is, is not only do you give them a parting gift, but sometimes <laughs> you bring food, you know, depending on who the environment is. Um, 
Because sometimes I think there's a perception that patents or IP can be boring. And so how do you make it interesting and how do you make it appealing to people? Well, not to you or I, but uh, that's right, I, I understand. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something else a little earlier about um, when we were discussing the types of folks that come to the programs and um, uh, folks out in the field, I think you said. Yeah. And certainly that raises in my mind the need when you have interaction uh, or folks out in the field working with customers, certainly, and suppliers and uh, the need for agreement because there's a great uh, move towards collaboration these days. And I'm wondering if agreements are any part of your education program. Yeah, you know, we, we, are, we do a program called Agreements 101. And, and the idea there is um, to just educate people on the fact that there are agreements that have intellectual property components to them, right? It's an important piece. It's an, uh, and... And it can get lost. You know, sometimes you know you might be dealing with a you know like a purchase supply agreement or something like that, and, and the IP provision, whether it's some sort of indemnification or a warranty or something that either side is doing for the other, you know, it's it's buried pretty far in those things. They're not they're not the first provision that you see, and and so you know you got to make sure that you, that you actually know that these things are there and pay attention to them because sometimes they can be pretty onerous. You know, depending on on how you're dealing with the stuff, and and there are certainly ways that people, you know, negotiate these things. And so for me, on the agreement side, awareness is certainly a a key thing. And you know, what we tell people is is you know why do you have a written agreement? Well, you you have it because you need that record for some for for later, right? It 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 memorializes what the deal is so that everybody understands what it is. Oftentimes in, in companies these days, right, there's so much movement among the employees of the companies and the management and all that sort of stuff within, even within the same company that the person who did the deal, you know, today might not even be in that same position, you know, a year from now. And so if you're dealing with things like confidential information or technology development, you want to have something there that the, that the successor to that position or whatever can look at and say, oh, okay, this was the deal we had with these guys. And this is what it covered, and now I understand it, and I understand what my obligations are. Right, so you you want to you want to have that kind of education, and you know it gets back a little bit to you know what the, the question you raised earlier about how do you keep people interested in knowing about this sort of stuff, and it it gets back into just making yourself very visible and approachable and easy to work with, because uh, you know what one thing that you find, and I'm sure other lawyers can relate to this is you want to make sure, at least when you're doing agreements, that you don't end up being, you know, sort of doctor no, right? If 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 you're the one if you're the lawyer that that turns down everything that says you can't do this deal and just comes up with a bunch of reasons not to do it, then people aren't going to want to come to you and work with you. And right. so you want to make sure that you put yourself in a position where people understand the types of things that involve intellectual property and that there are ways that you can work through a lot of these issues. Okay. So, and, and sort of getting back to this Agreements 101, right, you know, we start off with NDAs and confidentiality agreements or whatever different people refer to them as, secrecy agreements. You know, and there are some basic questions around there. Do you need a secrecy agreement? Do you need to be mutual? You know, a lot of times you end up in a situation where you're disclosing information or they're disclosing information, and you don't want to be in a position where both sides are bound by confidentiality. It might not apply to the situation. That's right. And... So you, you look at those things. Sometimes the agreements have, you know, incredibly long or incredibly short 
you know, confidentiality periods, which may affect how you, you know, may be different depending on the technology you're sharing. You know, if you're dealing with a technology that might be commercially launched in six months to a year, then obviously a, you know, a 10-year term isn't as relevant to you. But if you're dealing with something that might be, you know, a core element that you want to keep secret as long as possible, then obviously you want to have longer terms on these things. And a lot of people just, you know, they'll what what will happen is you'll get the agreement from the other side and just sort of sign off on it without paying attention to it, you know. And uh, again, it, you know, another issue with NDAs I always tell people is it's always, it gets back to this question of succession and who's doing the job five years from now. I always, my, my personal view is that you want to somehow memorialize the information that's being exchanged, you know, put it in writing or a summary of what it is in writing so that both, you know, the recipient of the information knows what information the other side considered to be confidential, but also, you know, the side that disclosed the information knows who they told, you know, who they told it to and what they told them. Okay. Just really sort of basic stuff like that. But then you, you know, you go from NDAs and you work into, you know, like a consulting agreement where you have people coming in to do work for you or a services agreement where people are providing services to you. And, uh, you know, and those agreements are always going to have IP provisions. Who's going to own the work product that's done, that's, that's created as part of this thing? And that's always a pretty important thing. You hate to, you know, you hate to sort of pay someone to create all this work and then have them be able to go off and maybe share it with a competitor of yours. Right? Sure. So you want, to, you want to pay attention to that kind of stuff. And then, you know, there are the more sort of classic IP agreements that people think about, whether it's licensing or joint technical development. And, you know, and, and the, the idea behind the agreements talk is to just put that awareness out there, have people say, okay, you know, maybe I shouldn't just sign this agreement. And, and, uh, and give them an idea of how they want to think about it going forward and the things that, you know, things that they might even want to look for. And then uh, so the other part of it is, is, gee, if they, if they start going off the reservation a little bit, to know that if they haven't, well, not going off the reservation, if they see something they haven't seen before, to know that they can just pick up the phone and give me or maybe our general counsel a call and say, hey, I got a question about this. This, this doesn't seem right or is this okay? Right. So those kinds of questions. Again, it's, it's to promote the, the awareness of it that they know when to call the lawyers. So, right. So you're raising the awareness. You're showing yourself to be a facilitator, right? We're on the same team here. And, and you're kind of demystifying uh, a lot of the uh, legalese in these agreements and, and yeah, kind of pointing right. out the, the risks for the, uh, for the unwary. Um, yeah. Okay. And, um, and we need to take a short break. When we return, more with Rob Follett. And now a word from our sponsors, Samet & Company and Sentinel Benefits and Financial Group. As a business professional or personal investor, you're continually managing change. Samet & Company, certified public accountants, provides audit, tax, accounting, and financial expertise to help you plan for and manage change in ways that yield predictable long-term benefits. At Samet, you can count on a level of integrity that is beyond compare. Our dedicated team consistently puts forth the extra effort to deliver timely, resourceful solutions. At Samet, it's about your success, not ours. Call us now at 617-731-1222. That's 617-731-1222. Or visit us at samet-cpa.com. Hi, Tom. This practice management conference is great. I'm getting lots of good ideas about managing our firm. Me too. The last session was really interesting. Sentinel Benefits and Financial Group. 
they were talking about saving for retirement with cash balance plans. What are those? It's a special type of defined benefit plan. It looks like a profit-sharing plan. And what's so special about them? The contributions to the partners can be as much as $200,000, and we don't need to increase the contributions to our other employees by much at all. So can any firm use a cash balance plan? The speaker from Sentinel Benefits said it works best for more senior partners. Our partners haven't been able to put much into the 401k plan at all lately. You should give Sentinel Benefits a call at 781-914-1200 or visit sentinelgroup.com. That's S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L group.com for more information. That was sentinelgroup.com. S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L group.com. Or call 781-914-1200 for more information. Welcome back to IP Council on the Legal Talk Network. Today we are joined by Rob Follett, Director and Counsel, Intellectual Property for Zoll Medical Corporation. Rob, when we left off, we were, we were talking about uh, best practices for uh, IP programs at companies. And uh, we talked a great deal about education and um, all employees uh, involved and uh, IP 101 and the four areas of IP, um, uh, discussing those, um, and then agreements and how important to, uh, to raise awareness and demystify uh, agreements um, and how, how that pays, pays dividends later on. Uh, of, of the three components that, that we were uh, discussing, though, after, after education, now we have these ideas. They've been submitted. Um, and, and, and you mentioned an, an intranet site and, and, and the, the uh, desire to make the submissions easy. Uh, can you take me through the, um, the process once, a, once an idea is submitted? Yeah, sure. So it, it comes in and, you know, we track them all and all that sort of stuff and so that we can get back to people and, and, and work it through. And, um, and then, you know, we, we manage it, you know, here and, and it's been managed in other places. I can hardly say that I'm the you know, inventor of this idea. But you have sort of, you know, IP teams or IP committees or, or those kinds of things for people that, uh, that have responsibility for making the decisions around how IP is managed. I was, I was at one place where, you know, you had quarterly review meetings and the decisions were largely made by, by the R&D, uh, by the R&D folks. Um, I've been at other places where, um, where they've been managed, you know, more by the business people. I, I try to, to keep it as a mix, right. Where you have, you know, to me, um, and it's been, been sort of taught to me in the past, you know, you always think of IP as a business asset. You know, it's, 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 it's fun as lawyers for us to put them all together and to file these patents and all that sort of stuff, but ultimately they're assets of the business. And so from that perspective, to me, that means that, that you want to make sure that the business is making a lot of these decisions or is clearly involved in the decisions around what, what you want to do with, with which cases. So you have, you know, business representation, um, to deal with that on those teams and whether that's, you know, uh, a senior manager within the business, whether that's the person who runs the business completely, you know, that kind of thing. It, I think it depends on the size of the company you're at and all that sort of stuff. If maybe you're in a small startup, obviously it's going to be a, a, a higher level group of people. You know, the larger corporation, there might be a little bit more down delegation, downward delegation to uh, different levels within the organization. But, 
you want to have sort of business representation. I think it's important to have technical representation so that you can discuss the technical aspects of what the invention is, understand maybe how it works technically and how it might fit in technically with other things that are being worked on. Um, you know, there's obviously legal representation. You might, in some companies, have marketing representation in these things. I think it, it really, as I said, it, a lot of it can be, depending on sort of how you view your company and how you want to do it, and how you know intellectual property is sort of viewed within the organization. And so, uh, again, for me, a, a key a key point I think is that is the recognition that that the IP is in fact a business asset, so you need to have a business buy-in. And so these groups, you know, what we'll do is we'll get together you know, on a maybe a quarterly basis, that kind of thing, depending on, you know, which which company you work for, the size of the organization, all that sort of stuff. But the idea is that you have a group of people that can sit together and make the assessment of, of you know, is this something that is that is worth filing on that might be a value to the business? Is it something that we actually is something we want to keep as a trade secret? We don't want to file. Okay. It's a great idea. I, but, it's, I, but it's a good trade secret idea. Yeah, I, I do work with uh, companies that have um, kind of score sheets um, where they they uh, they rank uh, different criteria. Uh, the the submission, the invention submission, they they rank it for uh, um, whether it's uh, could cover or work with current product lines or take a longer view of future product lines or certain markets and fields and what have you. And they they rate uh, on a one to five scale. I'm sure different companies have different approaches, but uh, uh, is is there that type of input? Have you seen? And is that would you consider that a best practice? Yeah, that's certainly a way to do it. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think it's you know it really comes down to how the business wants to sort of manage it. I, there are some there are some organizations that appreciate that level of rigor, mm-hmm. right? Where you can sit there and quantify it and put it down. I think there are other organizations where it might run more on a on a bit of a gut feel. You know, I think I think a lot of the startup organizations might look at it and say, you know what, we're just going to file on a lot of the stuff that we got, it. and they might even do it with a, you know, they might just have a bunch of ideas and they they call in a lawyer that day and they all sit around the table and brainstorm, right? Right. It, I think it depends on the organization, but I've heard of you know smaller startup type organizations. That's how they do it. That's their most efficient way to to generate IP, and so. When you're in that circumstance, that environment might be feel, you know what, we're not going to sit there and score them. You know, we, uh, you can look at them. I, there are different ways you can score them. You might score them in terms of, you know, is this going to be a hard case for us to write or not? Mm-hmm. You might score them in terms of value to the business. and You might score them, again, it, it fits into what you were just saying in terms of time frame of relevance. Is this a short-term thing? Is this a long-term thing? You know, I was at one company where, where they would, in fact, you know, that's how you prioritize the cases. You know, you, you know, you walk out of the meeting and you might have 20 applications you want to file. And how do you prioritize them and figure that out? And a little bit of that goes into how you do that scoring metric right? of how you want to do that. And I, I, again, I think it, it sort of it varies from company to company. Different people do it in different ways. Now, now these IP teams that are that are uh, looking at these submissions, for for example, are are an educated bunch as to uh, intellectual property, I imagine, and and would perhaps see some ideas as better suited for uh, trade secret. And some? yeah, I mean, okay. and and you know, I guess the point it gets back to the whole education piece, right? It, right. You want to have people on that team that have actually, you know, you want to make sure that they've gone through the IP one hundred and one. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, uh, several times, maybe. Yeah, several, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say several times, but you want to make sure that, that the folks on the team actually have an understanding of what intellectual property is, right? Because, 
Because people get patents for different reasons. Again, I think it varies depending on what your company environment is. A lot of companies might, startups get, get patents because they want to get patents, because they want to create assets that create value that they can sell their company for or get an IPO out of or whatever it happens to be. Okay. Right. Uh, other companies might want to do it more for marketing purposes to say, hey, you know, gee, we've got a lot of patents. Uh, you know, they can just say it in their, in their annual reports. I think there are companies out there that do that. Uh, and there are other companies that look at it and say, well, I want to make sure that I'm protecting what I'm doing because uh, it's a great idea. And so there are a lot of different reasons why you want to do that. And that's part of the education process, again, is, you know, what role can patents play for your organization and how, how do you figure out, you know, which ones you want to keep and which ones you don't want to? But yeah, getting back to your original question, which I've given a much long, longer-winded answer than you're looking for, you know, it, it does get back to making sure that the people that are involved have have the background understanding of what's going on. Okay. And how involved are the submitters? Um, you you uh, early on mentioned that uh, anyone can invent, and you encourage input from from all yep. quarters of the company. Uh, management, marketing, and finance, as well as your traditional sources uh, when we're talking about uh, uh, patents, for example, in, in engineering yep. and research. Um, how, how, how does one do you, do you get back to and, and keep them engaged, uh, the submitters? Um, yeah, so um, again, that's, I think this varies from company to company. At, at one company I was at, um, the, uh, or, and, and other things, that, and I've heard this done at other companies as well, when you go through all the ideas that are submitted, the inventors are there to sort of champion their idea or at least to explain it. <laughs> you know, right. sometimes you end up in a, in a heavy duty technical discussion. And so you need someone to sort of sit there and, and provide that explanation of what they're really thinking. Okay. Other companies, you know, you might, you might try and do the meeting. Um, you might not feel like you have the time to, to have everybody come in and explain their invention. And you might look at it and say, you know what, it's the, the invention, I understand it. You know, from from its face, and you understand it. So you might you might involve. I, I think it, again, it depends probably on the level of the of the comprehensiveness of what the invention relates to, and the level of technical difficulty that is around it, or technical um, detail that's necessary for it. Again, it, I think it depends on the organization. And then you know, and then you you know, you might just say, oh, you know, stay on call. We'll, we'll call you. We're going to be sitting there. We're going to have our IP team meeting. And, now, if you're around, that would be great to come in and maybe talk a little bit about what you're trying to do. Okay. okay. And sometimes you end up in the meeting and, and people say, you know what, I, I, we need to go back to this guy and understand more. Or the person needs to go back and do a lot more work around this idea to really understand if it's any good or not. But it all, started with, uh, it all started with, uh, if I could summarize here, um, um, enlisting employees through education and raising awareness, again, through education uh, facilitating the process, not being a roadblock, um, um, but 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 showing that you're you're all on the same team, and then of course always uh, best practice would be to to keep lines of communication open. Yeah, I mean, I, for the betterment that, of the company, I think. I, I to to be, you know, a lot of a lot of what IP is, and a lot of you know perhaps how some people might view the IP function and what they're doing is it's marketing. You know, you're going out yes. there and you're marketing what intellectual property can do for your organization. You go out there and you, you do the education. You market it through the education. You market it through just being approachable and dealing with people. So, again, the idea is is, is what you want to have somebody say is, 
you know, when they're sitting there working at their desk and they come up with an idea, they might want to say, oh, gee, you know, maybe I should go talk to Rob about this, right? Or, or maybe I should call, you know, uh, you know, my manager about this, right? Just ask, ask a question about this. The idea is to just have it in their minds that they're always thinking about, gee, is this something that might be patentable mm-hmm. and, and, or might be of value to the business? You know, gee, I've got a great new trade name. Is this something, you know, for this product, is, is this something I need to think about? Who do I talk to about all that stuff? You know, who, who are my connections? And, 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 and boy, this, this NDA just crossed my desk, or this more complicated services agreement just crossed my desk. Who do I need to go talk to about it? Is this something I need to talk to somebody about? I, I, think, that's, uh, I think that sums it up. I think the, 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 the process that you, you've used, the best practices you've, you've implemented, uh, um, clearly are, are working. I, I read somewhere that Zoll has uh, about 250 U.S. patents and, of course, foreign counterparts as businesses all around the world. So uh, you're, you're definitely encouraging uh, invention and innovation at a uh, at a leading company. So congratulations for that. Is there anything further you'd like to add about uh, best practices? No, you know it, it all gets back to keep it simple. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, really to me, just keep it simple. Yeah. You know, people can look at patents and stuff like that and say, well, I, you know, it's really complicated, and and I'm and be I don't know if intimidated is the right word, but maybe not want to engage in it because the perception is that it's complicated, and so. You want to keep it simple. You want to keep it simple. You want to keep yourself, you know, as approachable as you can, and, and you want to have it, you know, on people's minds so that, you know, again, if the ideas are sitting in people's heads, they're really not of any use to the business because no one, you, you can't, you can't make a decision about an idea if you don't know what it is. And I think that applies whether it's patents or anything else. I mean, that's, that's just flat out business sense, I think. Right. <laughs> you know well that that's a great point to leave it on and um, uh, that about does it I guess for this for this edition of IP Council and remember you can find uh, all of our shows at uh, legaltalknetwork.com and you can also subscribe to this program through iTunes a very special thanks to my guest Rob Follett for joining me today uh, Rob if somebody wants more information on this topic how can they reach you uh, I suppose they could find my email right uh, which is rfollett at zoll.com um, I'm happy to, you know, to work with people. I, I've been fortunate enough to have been sort of mentored through this field by, by folks, and, and uh, I'm always happy to, uh, to help people sort of you know, figure out how they want to do things. Of course, subject to any kind of complications I have. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> to to my, my current and, <laughs> and past employers and all that sort of stuff. And, and in that spirit, thanks for helping us today and joining us. So sure. I appreciate that. And of, of, of course, you can contact me directly at LALaw.com or email me at plando at LALaw.com. Join us next time for another episode of IP Council and have a great day, everyone. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening today. Join us again on the next edition of IP Council, Talking Law and IP, right here on the Legal Talk Network.